wasn't just like, yeah, she was, she was not doing real great, you know. It, when you look at, in, into the Greek words for, for what, was, what was meant here, it was what's, she was at the point of death. So it was like she was at death's door. Any time she could die. So Jairus was desperate. He comes to Jesus, and, and Jesus, of course, as he almost always did, agrees to go with him. And this large crowd follows him, and it says they're pressing around them, almost, almost suffocating them. There was such a, such a crowd of people around them. Now, on their way to Jairus' house, though, a funny thing happens. Another desperate person who is also in great need approaches Jesus, but this time in secret. Why would this woman do this in secret? We wonder, you know, why, why, was, why was it such a big deal? Why wouldn't she just come to Jesus and ask for help? Well, to understand this, we've got to understand a little bit more about the woman's condition and what that meant in that culture at the time. You see, in that time, if you had what she had, which was an incurable menstrual bleeding condition that, that happened all of the time, if you had that at the time, it wasn't just about pain and discomfort. There was a whole nother level of baggage that came with this. Now, I'm sure the, the physical discomfort and inconvenience of that condition would have been bad enough. I can't speak from personal experience, obviously, but I'm sure that that would not have been pretty. But in first century Jewish culture, much bigger problem. Because what this woman's condition meant was that she was continuously considered unclean. Now, if you were considered unclean, it meant that if you touched anyone or even anyone's clothes, it rendered the other person ceremonially unclean. And to fulfill Jewish law, you would then have to take a bath to be clean again, and then the next day you were considered clean. Well, taking a bath wasn't just quite as easy in that time as it was now. So, you know, everybody didn't just have a, have a shower in their house or a bathtub where they could hop into. You know, it might have meant going down to the local river and then taking a dunk. Or maybe if you're lucky to have some public baths in the community, they could go there. But it wasn't an easy, convenient thing for us right now. So people avoided becoming ceremonial unclean at all costs. That's not something they wanted to happen. So what this meant practically for this woman was that she was excluded from social life in Israel. She could not go to the synagogue. She could not really go out and be in crowds of people because if she touched people, boom, they're ceremonially unclean. So just think about that. Living a life where not only do you have this bleeding condition, but basically you can't touch people or be touched by people. On top of this, she had spent all of her money on doctors. And we know from the medical practices at the time that some of their practices were like really harsh and, and not, not anything like medicine today. And in spite of all this, all that she'd gone through, all of her money she'd spent on that, now she's destitute. So think, this woman has no money, no social standing, can't go out in the community, can't touch people. She's basically as low as it can get. And on top of that, because of her condition, she probably had either never married or had been divorced when her, when her husband found that out. So she's, she's alone, she's desperate, and she hears, though, that Jesus is in town. So she hatches this desperate plan. She believes if she could just make her way through the crowd to Jesus and touch the edge of his cloak, she'd be healed. 
Now, this meant having to make a way through a large crowd of people, right? Jesus always had this crowd around him, potentially making many people unclean as she did that. But in her desperation, she just decides, you know what? It's worth a shot. I'm so desperate. I'm going to do anything. So somehow she manages her way through the crowd. She's able to touch Jesus' cloak, and bam, as soon as she does that, she's healed. I've, I've heard people who've been healed instantly say that um, when that's happened, like a warmth goes through their body or that, that area that's healed, it, it becomes, becomes warm. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe that's how she knew she was healed. But some, somehow, some way, she knows instantly she, she's healed. But surprise, she's not the only one who knows. Her plan to have this done all in secret doesn't doesn't work out that way. Because why? You can't get anything past Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what had happened. The Bible says he, he, he knew immediately that power had gone out from him. And so he starts calling out, who touched my clothes? Now the disciples all around him understandably are like, Hello, Jesus, uh, there's people all around you. Well, what do you mean, who touched your clothes? There's probably 30 people who touched your clothes in the last minute. But Jesus persists. He knows what he's doing, and he, he calls out, who touched my clothes? And the Bible says this woman comes forward in fear and trembling. Now, why was she afraid? Why would she be so afraid? Well, there may be several reasons for that. One, she was certainly afraid that she would incur more shame. One of the things we need to understand is that the culture of this time was what's called an honor-shame society. Now, without boring you with all the details, in essence, your life was wrapped up in your reputation in the community, in your social standing. That's what it was all about. If you ticked off all the boxes, you were honored, you you were well thought of, and your life was going to be good. If you didn't tick off some of the boxes, not so good for you. Basically, this woman ticked off none of the boxes. She was socially about as low as you could get in the community because of her condition and all the things that we've already talked about. So why would she be afraid to come to Jesus? Well, number one, maybe she would have to expose, you know, everything that had just happened and the details of her, intimate details of her life to this community. I can imagine that most of you women can, you know, can relate to the fact that if you have this condition, it's not exactly something that you'd want to be uh, made, made uh, public. It's not something you want to announce to the community. Well, even more so for this woman because of all the things we've mentioned. It would potentially be known that she had got through this, come through this crowd and made a whole bunch of people unclean. So... She was probably you know, afraid about that. What would the ramifications be? You know, would, would, would Jesus call her out in front of everybody? Would he, he tell her that what she did was a horrible thing and, and say that, you know, now that, now that she's going to have to pay the price for this? Would Jesus even undo the healing? You can just imagine all these thoughts that were going through her mind as Jesus, as she came before Jesus. But to her credit says she didn't hold back. She, t- she tells him the whole, whole truth. This is what happened, Jesus. She comes clean. Then comes the great part. Jesus totally clears her and affirms her by saying, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Did you catch that Jesus called her daughter? That's the only time that this happens 
That's the only time it's recorded in the whole New Testament that Jesus does this. It's, if Jesus, it's as if Jesus is saying, not only are you healed, not only are you going away with my blessing, but you're part of my family now. You're my daughter. He embraces her. He welcomes her into the community. He says, go, go in peace. Rejoin the community. Enjoy your life. Meanwhile, we can only imagine what's going on through the mind of poor Jairus, right? Here, his daughter's at the point of death. Every minute might count. It was already probably taking longer than he'd hoped, than he'd hoped to, get Jesus, to get to Jesus' house because of this huge crowd they had to wade through. And now, this whole incident with this woman had cost more precious time. On top of that, Jesus had been touched by an unclean woman, making him unceremonially unclean. Now everyone would know that Jairus is inviting an unclean person into his house. He'd already risked so much to come and humble himself before Jesus, to beg for help. The same Jesus who many of the religious leaders were plotting to kill. Could it get any worse? Yes, it could. Some men who've just come from his house come and tell him, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Just imagine what Jairus is feeling at this point. Fear, sorrow, despair, all these emotions must have just been coming over him at once. He, he, he was invested in this life, life of his daughter. He thought he had hope. Finally, Jesus was on the way, and now he finds out she's dead. But then Jesus utters some of the most powerful words in the whole Bible. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. The words just believe are what's called in the, a, in the Greek a present tense imperative. And what they actually mean is keep believing. Jesus is saying, you already came to me in faith. You believe that I could do this. Now keep believing. Keep believing because something good is going to happen. Could there still be hope for Jairus' daughter? Well, at this point, Jesus dismisses the crowd, probably with the help of his disciples, and he only allows Peter, James, and John to go with him, and Jairus, of course. Jesus knew what he was about to do, and he didn't need a crowd of people there to complicate things. So they get to Jairus' house, and a full mourning party is already happening. In that time, people, especially those, those of standing, would actually have professional mourners come to uh, mourn someone who just died. So they would hire these people who would come and they'd cry and, and wail loudly and that was considered a respectful thing to do when someone had died. So this is happening and the condition of that little, little girl was so dire, those people were probably already standing by and they'd already been called in before Jesus got there. So Jesus comes and, and he sees what's going on. He says, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Why Jesus says that, we don't fully know. Perhaps he was referring to the fact that although the girl had died, her condition was not final. Maybe he was trying to downplay the attention he would receive from raising someone from the dead because he didn't want to uh, compromise the rest of his ministry. But whatever the case, he says this. And then all these people who had been crying and mourning and wailing all of a sudden are laughing. That must have made the parents feel great. You know, they're all these professional mourners and, and other people, now they're laughing at Jesus. And that word in the Greek means laugh to scorn. So they were like, like they were making fun of him, like saying, we all know this girl's dead. 
Okay, well, what are you talking about, Jesus? You don't get it. But undeterred, Jesus orders the mourners out of the house. He doesn't need all that unbelief going on. And again, he seems to be trying to draw as little attention to the miracle as possible. So he enters the room where the little girl is laying, and along with the girl's parents and Peter, James, and John. And then he takes the girl by the hand and says, Talitha kumi. There's nothing magical about those words. That, those are just the words in the language that was spoken at that time, Aramaic. And they mean, little girl, I say to you, get up. And then the amazing thing happens. The girl gets up. Not only does she stand up, the Bible says she starts walking around. Like it's like she's got this burst of energy and she's walking all around the room. And, and, the, and the Bible says that the parents were astonished. That word means out of their minds with amazement. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the feelings that must have been going on in these parents? Their little daughter, they thought they'd lost her. Now she's alive, she's up, she's moving around, she's healthy. They must have just been ecstatic. What an amazing story. And Jesus gives them two orders, though, before he goes. He says, don't let anyone know about this. Again, he doesn't want his teaching ministry. His ministry is all about teaching and, and calling people to repentance. He doesn't want it to be compromised by, by people, all the tension he would get from raising someone from the dead. I have a feeling that word leaked out and a few people found out about it. But uh, anyway, that, that was Jesus trying to, trying to make the best he could of that situation. And then he orders them to give her something to eat. Why? Well, she'd probably been sick for a long time. She probably hadn't eaten anything in a while. And so even though he healed her, he knew that she needed food in her to, to keep her strength up and so she, so she could uh, regain her full health. So, awesome story, right? One of my favorites in the whole Bible. But here's where we need to ask the question, so what? What's, what's it mean for my life? So I want to, want to bring out four takeaways from this story. You were given a little handout there, and this is where uh, you got some fill in the blanks there. And the first one is, the first takeaway, Jesus cares about your troubles. I know this seems like, you know, kind of maybe an obvious thing, but we need to understand that Jesus had some really strong reasons not to go with Jairus. Number one, he was trying not to bring any more attention to his healing ministry as evidenced by how he handled things at Jairus' house. Bringing too much attention to his miracles could keep him from that primary purpose of, of calling people to repentance in his teaching ministry. Raising from the dead at, at that point, if that become, became known, well known and everybody started talking about that, it could precipitate a crisis. It could make things even worse with him and the religious leaders. And speaking of those religious leaders... Uh, he, another thing we need to understand is that touching a, a dead body at that time was considered even worse than touching the unclean woman or being touched by the unclean woman. If you touched a dead body, you were actually ceremonially unclean for seven days and you had to go through, through these elaborate purification rituals to, to be restored. So, so touching... If, Touching the dead body was not exactly a thing that was going to win points with uh, the religious leaders. So Jesus had some really good reasons to not, not even do this at all. But we see over and over again in Jesus' life, don't we, that he cared more about helping people than about pleasing people, right? Jesus wasn't worried about what everybody was going to think. He wasn't worried about the religious establishment. He cared so much about these people 
He said, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go. I'm going to meet their needs. I'm going to help them. And that's, it's the same thing, thing with us. Sometimes we, we think, oh, Jesus doesn't, you know, what does he care about my little problems or my worries? There's so many other things going on in the world. No, Jesus cares very intimately about you and your troubles. So that's takeaway number one. Takeaway number two is Jesus has the power to help you in your troubles. Jairus and the woman had something in common. The conventional solutions of the world offered them no hope. There was nothing left for them. No, no way that anything was going to bring hope into their life. They were absolutely desperate, absolutely hopeless, unless Jesus did a miracle. And Jesus showed them that there is no situation, no problem that's too big for him. Right? Do you know that? Do we understand that there is no situation, no problem that's too big for Jesus? Jesus absolutely has the power to give you victory in every situation. He created the universe. There is no situation, no problem too big for him. So takeaway two, Jesus has the power to help you in your troubles. Now brings us to takeaway number three. Jesus' power is ignited by faith. Both Jairus and the woman had to do something to get their miracle, didn't they? They had to take a step of faith. They had to reach out to Jesus. They had to come to him humbly and say, Jesus, I need your help. I, I, I need you to, to, to make this happen for me. You know, when you look throughout the New Testament, faith is the common denominator in nearly every miracle. God seems to have ordained that his power is released in the presence of faith. It's just the way he has made it. So faith always requires taking a humble step, though, toward Jesus, doesn't it? Admitting that we need him and that he is only the solution. So takeaway three, Jesus' power is ignited by faith. Then number four, and this is the key point of this message, Jesus wants you to replace your fear with faith. When we're faced with an overwhelming situation, there's always an element of fear, isn't there? That always seems like that's part of it. The woman was afraid that she would never have a normal life, that she would become completely impoverished and destitute. She'd never be able to touch anybody again, never be able to have a normal relationship again. Jairus was afraid that he would lose his daughter and never see her again. And what did Jesus say? Don't be afraid, just believe. No matter what your situation is that you're in, in today, no matter what overwhelming situation you come against, that's what Jesus wants to say to you. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Such powerful words. But what are we supposed to believe? We're supposed to believe that Jesus has our back. Jesus has the power. He cares about you. And he's going to take care of you in every situation. In every overwhelming situation, he has the answer. There's nothing too difficult for him. You know, I think many of us intellectually believe that. In our mind, we believe, yeah, Jesus has the power. He can handle every situation. But then we act as if he can't. We give in to fear and we say and do things that show we really don't believe. We really don't believe that Jesus has this. We don't believe he, he's going to do it. But Jesus wants us to replace our fear with faith. I think there's a few things that keep us from replacing our fear with faith. Number one is our own feeling of unworthiness. I think oftentimes we feel that, you know what? I've just messed up too badly. This situation is a result of my own bad choices. And basically, I'm just not good enough to get Jesus' help. I'm not, I'm not worthy. It's, it's not that I don't believe Jesus can't do it. 
It's just, I don't believe he wants to do it for me. I, I don't deserve it. And you know what? We're right. We don't deserve it, but that's the good news, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's not about our works. It's not about our worthiness. It's not about what we've done. It's about Jesus' worthiness and what he's done. He died on the cross to take our place and to bring us forgiveness of sins and to bring us a life of peace and blessing. So don't let your own sense of unworthiness keep you from replacing your fear with faith and getting what you need from Jesus. Another thing I think that keeps us from replacing our fear with faith is doubt that God really cares enough about my problems. We think, you know, there's, there's so many people with problems bigger than mine. My problems just probably don't matter that much to God. But here's what the scripture tells us. In 1 Peter 5, 5 to 7, it says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Does it just say, just only cast the really big anxieties on Jesus, only, you know, the huge overwhelming things. No, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He does care about your problems. He does want to meet your needs. One last barrier I want to mention that keeps us from replacing our fear with faith is a, just basically a completely distorted view of who God is. Sometimes I think people have, I know people have the idea that God is angry, he's punitive, he's, he somehow delights in causing pain, he's, he's waiting up there to zap you with a lightning bolt when you mess up, or at least to just say, uh, you're hopeless, forget it, I, I'm done with you. But you know what? That view of God is distorted. That's not the view of God we see in the Bible. Often people get that view because they've had an earthly father who's, who has you know, made things difficult in their lives and was, was not who he should have been for them. Maybe he was angry and punitive. Maybe he was abusive. But our Heavenly Father, we got to understand, is not that way. He cares very much about you. He doesn't delight in your pain. Now, sometimes he realizes that he's more concerned with your growth than your comfort, but he doesn't want to see you go through pain. He doesn't want to see you go through suffering. He's there. He has your back. So replace your fear with faith. And that's really the big idea of this message. When faced with an overwhelming situation, replace your fear with faith. Now maybe you're saying, okay, Jeff, that's great. Replace your fear with faith. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of get that. But, but how do you do that? You know, I mean, when you're in the middle of a situation, you're, you've got this fear going on, how do I just say, okay, fear, go away, have faith, uh, it's all going to be good. Well, I want to give you some, some, the last thing I want to do is give you some practical action steps here that will hopefully help you to replace your fear with faith in overwhelming situations. The first one almost seems counterintuitive, but it's name your fear, name your fear. You know, fear can be paralyzing, and there's something about naming our fear that begins to take the power away from it. When we're just living in this kind of nebulous state of, ah, I'm afraid, what's going on, you know, this is stressful, it can be paralyzing. So the first step is, what, is, what am I really afraid of here? Let's say you, 
your company is downsizing. They're about ready to, to get rid of 500 jobs. What are you worried about here? What, what is really your fear? That you'll lose your job? No, no, it goes deeper than that. You're afraid that maybe you won't be able to get another job. You won't be able to take care of your family. You'll, you'll become destitute. That's the core fear. So whatever's going on, if you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling overwhelmed, the first step is drill down to what am I really afraid of here? What's going on? Once we wrap our minds around that, then the next step is release the situation to Jesus. Release means to let go of it, right? To let go of that fear, to stop coddling that fear and instead give it to Jesus. You know, when we have something overwhelming that happens, it's real common for us to start having a little pity party and to, you know, feel like, oh, woe is me, what's going to happen? I'm, my life is over, I'm, I'm done. That's understandable, it's okay. Have your pity party for a day or two if you need to. But then we need to stop coddling that fear we need to say, Jesus, this is yours. I got to give this to you. You've got this. I don't know what to do. It's overwhelming to me, but here it is, Jesus. We got to release that fear to him. You know what? It also means putting the outcome in Jesus' hands. Jesus knows what the outcome needs to be more than we do. So releasing that, releasing that fear, releasing that situation in Jesus means, God, I trust you for the outcome. You even know better than I do what needs to happen here. Then the next action step is trust Jesus for his answer and his timing. Sometimes we have our own idea of how this overwhelming situation should be answered, and God has another, right? Jairus thought that Jesus was going to come and put his hands on the sick daughter and she would be healed. Jesus had a better plan to raise her from the dead. The woman thought she'd be able to touch Jesus' cloak, get healed, and sneak out with anybody knowing Jesus had a better plan. Not only would she be healed, but she'd be restored to community and made a part of Jesus' spiritual family. So we need to trust Jesus for his answer. And then there's that timing issue, right? I'm sure the woman's timing would not have been a wait for 12 years for her healing, right? Uh, I'm sure that's not, not in her mind of what, what, how she was hoping this whole thing would play out, right? She had to suffer and live through that for 12 years. But God's timing's always perfect. Just think what her miracle has meant now to millions of people who've read, read the Bible. Her 12 years of suffering, yeah, they were difficult, they were hard, but how many people have been blessed by what Jesus did in her life because of waiting for God's timing? Jairus' timing was not to have to deal with a delay that would possibly lead to the death of his daughter, right? But it was Jesus' timing. Sometimes, sometimes we've got to understand God's answer is yes, but not yet. Yes, I'm going to do something here, but it's not, 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 not going to happen right now. Why? We don't always know. Jesus sees the big picture. We just see this little teeny bubble around us. Jesus sees how our life and what happens in our life is going to affect other people, which is going to affect other people. And there's, domin there's a domino and a ripple effect that our life can affect potentially thousands of other people by one incident. Jesus sees all that. He knows what the right timing is. So we've got to trust Jesus for his timing. Like I said, sometimes he's more concerned about our growth than our comfort, right? And he knows that if he just took this thing away right now that we're overwhelmed with, we wouldn't grow through it. 
but that we but by allowing us to work through that process and continue to rely on him and trust in him, he brings about a growth process that makes us a much better person and then allows us to minister to other people in a much more powerful way. Step number four, and this is where the the rubber really meets the road here, create a faith statement. A faith statement is simply a positive statement that expresses your faith and belief in Jesus' answer for your overwhelming situation. It can be something just as simple as, Jesus, you've got this. Or it might be a Bible verse like, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. But whatever it is, it's just a statement that you can replace the fear with. And that's action step number five. Declare your faithful statement your faith statement when fearful thoughts come. You've named your fear. You've released it to Jesus. You're trusting God for his answer and his timing. You've created your faith statement. But now you know, you know, we all know, the enemy's going to come and he's going to keep on trying to come after you with fearful thoughts, right? He's going to keep on, those fearful thoughts are going to keep arising. But what if this doesn't happen? But, oh man, I don't know. I don't know what the next step is. What should I do? We've got to replace our fear with faith. When those, those fearful thoughts come, then by declaring that faith statement. Now, ideally, this means your faith statement should not be so long that you can memorize it, right? So it's right there in your mind, ready to come forth when you need it. But in any case, keep doing it until those fearful thoughts, thoughts go. When those fearful thoughts come, let's say your faith faith statement is just, Jesus, you've got this. Just say, either out loud, or if you can, obviously, probably not if you're out in public, but either out loud or in your mind, repeat your faith statement. Jesus, you've got this. Jesus, you've got this. And keep repeating that until those, those those fears go away. You can't let fear overwhelm you. You can't let fear grip you, and keep you from what God wants for you. So last step, declare your faith statement when fearful thoughts come. We're going to wrap up here. Remember the story I told you you at the beginning about that pastor I know? Well, you might have guessed by now that pastor's me. That situation happened about six years ago, and it's been difficult, it's been challenging, but I can honestly say God has been there every step of the way. He's been faithful. He helped me through that over, overwhelming situation. He helped me overcome those fears of what's going to happen next. I mean, am I going to be able to sort, support my family? Am I ever going to have a life of significance again? All those things, Jesus helped me through them. My kids all graduated from high school here in Camas, and now they're all thriving. One's at Washington State University School of Nursing. I got another one at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, another one at Northwestern in Chicago. They're all doing well, so thank God for that. God enabled us miraculously to be able to buy the house that we were renting. God God has just taken care of us over and over again in many ways. And you know what? I can honestly say I have grown so much as a person through that situation. Things have happened to me. Habits have been instilled into my life. I've learned things that I never would have learned if I wouldn't have gone through it. God is faithful. He's always there. He knows our situations. He cares about it. He wants to help you. So I want, to, want you to indulge me with one last thing here. 
you've been given these little action cards. One of my pet peeves with sermons is that so often we're kind of, we're stirred, but we're not changed. You know, we're like, yeah, I know there's something I should probably do. God kind of stirred something up many in me, but we go away and our life really isn't any different. We haven't done anything about it. So I want you to indulge me right now by taking just a minute, if you will, to fill out this card. Hopefully you have a pen in front of you or something you, you can. And just, if you have any situation going on, on at all in your life, which most of us do, if you're not, if you're in a place where there's absolutely nothing of fear, nothing overwhelming happening in your life, praise God. Thank God for it right now and pray for the people in here that do. But for all of the rest of us, if you'll just take a minute and write, write those two things on that card. What is my fear right now? What's, if I had to put my finger on what, the, what is the biggest thing I'm afraid of right now, what is it? And write that down. And then, what should my, what's a faith statement for me? What's a good faith statement that would help me? I've I've got a few up here on the screen for you just for ideas. You don't have to use any of those, but it's just, just an idea. You know, it could be something like, Jesus, you've got this. I have faith in you, Jesus. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. But create some kind of statement for yourself. That can be your go-to statement when fear comes, when Satan's trying to do a number on you, and you can say, I'm going to overcome this with Jesus' help. I'm going to replace my fear with faith, right? If you remember nothing else from this sermon, which I know most of us a week or two later, we have, we have remembered very little about any sermon we've heard, right? But if you remember nothing else, remember these five words. Replace your fear with faith. Replace your fear with faith. That's what I want you to come away with. So I'm going to give you just a few, few seconds right now to finish filling that out. And I'm doing this for myself in my mind too because you know what? I'm not there yet. I haven't, I haven't arrived to the place where there's no overwhelming situations in my life, where there's nothing I'm, I'm not dealing with. So I'm doing this in my, my mind here too. I do it written, but I don't have one of the cards with me. <clears throat> but I can do that later. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> and if the worship, worship team could come on up now, that'd be awesome. If you're, if you're here today and, and you don't have to do this, there's no magical power in this, but if you're here today and you just say, you know what, I am in a situation that's overwhelming for right now, and just... We talked about taking a step of faith. If you just want to say, just as a step of faith right now, I, I'm going to raise my hand to the Lord and say, Jesus, there is, there is a situation I'm dealing with now, an overwhelming situation that I'm dealing with that I need your help. That's you. I just want to raise your hand along with me right now. I'm raising my hand because I've got a situation that's tough in my life that I'm still working through. And so... Let's raise our hands to the Lord right now and say, yeah, Jesus, we need your help. All right, you can put your hands down. 
I always want to ask when I'm speaking, are you in a situation now where you're, you're not with God, you're, you're far from God, or you're just not where you should be with God? Maybe you've never had a relationship with God. Maybe you didn't really even know that Jesus cared about you that much, that he would, he would do everything for you. He'd die for you. He'd, he wants to help you in every situation. He wants to help you with your needs. If you're here today and, and you're not where you, where you want to be with Jesus, you don't have that relationship with him, and you want, just want to say right now, you're going to take that step of faith again and raise your hand and say, I need Jesus in my life. You can just raise your hand right now if that's you. I need Jesus right now. Lord God, I just pray for everybody who's in here today. God, all of us who take this journey in life, we come against these situations that are challenging and are difficult. Life just doesn't seem to spare any of us in that department. So God, I just pray for everyone right now that you would you would help them, Lord, to replace their fear with faith. In their overwhelming situation, let them not be overwhelmed. Let them not give in to fear. But Lord, let them put their trust in you and say, Lord, I know you've got this. You're going you're gonna to help me. You're going to get me through this. I'm replacing my fear with faith. Lord, let it be done in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you do, you can all stand right now and we're going to dismiss. But if you do need prayer, um, feel free to come on up here. I'm happy to pray with you. I think there's other people in this church who'd be happy to pray with you. And uh, we definitely want to, want to be there for you in that way. If you're, if you're good, you're free to go. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. It's been great being with you. Have a fantastic day.